0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the September 17th edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A Los Angeles Superior Court judge approved a $15 million settlement between California Insurance Commissioner and a litigation trust created after the collapse of Workers' Compensation insurer Superior National Insurance Company. Back in 2000, the Los Angeles Superior Court appointed the commissioner as conservator of Superior National Insurance Company, Superior Pacific Casualty Company, California Compensation Insurance Company, Combined Benefits Insurance Company, and Commercial Compensation Casualty Company. The court also appointed the commissioner as liquidator for these insurance companies collectively, known as the Superior National Insurance Companies in Liquidation, or SNICIL. The value of the property and assets of the SNICIL entities exceeded approximately $1.4 billion. The insolvent company's offices were closed, and in September 2003, the insolvent company's remaining operations were consolidated into the Commissioner's Conservation and Liquidation Office located in San Francisco. Prior to the appointment of the commissioner as conservator, the five superior national insurance companies entered into a reinsurance contract with U.S. Life Insurance Company, wherein U.S. Life agreed to reinsure the superior national companies from liability for losses related to workers' compensation policies written after May 1998. In 1999, U.S. Life initiated arbitration proceedings against the superior national companies, seeking rescission of its reinsurance contract, alleging that the Superior National Companies made misrepresentations and failed to disclose material facts. The Superior National Companies in turn sought to enforce the contract against U.S. life. After seven years of arbitration proceedings, the reinsurance contract was upheld and damages awarded to SNICIL accordingly. The arbitration award was confirmed by the court and judgment was entered in favor of SNICIL, but U.S. Life appealed. On January 4, 2010, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals affirmed the judgment against U.S. Life. U.S. Life elected not to seek review from the U.S. Supreme Court and paid the SNICIL estate approximately $529 million from U.S. Life Insurance Company, an American international group subsidiary, in partial satisfaction of the judgment. Under the terms of the agreement, the California Insurance Guarantee Association immediately received $186 million to apply to their workers' compensation account. The balance of $343 million was received by the estates for future distributions to Superior National Insurance Company's creditors. And now, our fraud report. A new Deloitte Consulting study paints a dismal insurance fraud picture. When one thinks of insurance fraud, it is common to think of so-called hard fraud. That is, when someone deliberately fabricates a claim, fakes an accident, or coordinates a complex scheme involving multiple parties such as agents, doctors, attorneys, claimants, and witnesses. Yet, the lion's share of fraud is due to soft fraud, in which a claimant exaggerates the value of a legitimate claim or misrepresents information in an attempt to pay lower policy premiums. A new report from Deloitte Consulting says that the economic impacts of fraud are enormous. The Coalition Against Insurance Fraud estimates that fraud for all types of insurance costs $80 billion annually or $950 for each family, making it the second-largest economic crime in the United States after tax evasion. Looking only at property and casualty insurance, fraud is estimated to amount to $30 billion in losses each year, accounting for 10% of the total payout. At present, workers' compensation and automobile insurance lines of business represent the larger fraud areas for the property and casualty industry. According to the Insurance Research Council Insurance Services Office, almost half of property and casualty companies report that between 30 cents or more of each premium dollar is lost to soft fraud alone. Not only does fraud impose large costs, the number of fraudulent claims is growing rapidly. The National Insurance Crime Bureau reported that, in 2011, questionable claims for the first time had exceeded 100,000 referrals and had increased by 19% compared to 2009. While the NICB has played an important role in encouraging coordination across the industry, most carriers largely work independently on fraud. For example, while 42 states and the District of Columbia have set up fraud bureaus, there is a lack of consistency in organization, approach, and oversight. As a result, leading practices are often not shared, and efforts to deter fraud have not received public attention. In prosecuting fraud, the onus is placed on the carrier to demonstrate that a claimant is fraudulent, and even where this is possible, the legal process is lengthy and inconsistent. Additionally, the lack of consistent and specific immunity protection for a carrier, particularly when collaborating with other carriers, creates additional barriers to effectively addressing fraud. State and federal regulations are often unclear regarding the actions a carrier is allowed to take and the coverage and powers extended to state fraud bureaus. Despite the fact that fraud drives up premiums, many consumers have surprisingly tolerant attitudes towards insurance fraud. A 2008 survey by the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud found that roughly one in five U.S. adults, that's 40 million people, felt it was acceptable to defraud insurance companies under certain circumstances. The survey also found the number of consumers that felt various types of insurance fraud were unethical had declined over the previous decade. The International Association of Special Investigation Units presented awards to four individuals involved in fighting insurance fraud at the 27th Annual Seminar and Expo on Insurance Fraud held in Palm Desert, California. John Boatwright of Travelers Insurance received the 2012 Investigator of the Year Award for his work that exposed a California-based durable medical equipment company that was improperly increasing payments for medical equipment. His investigation showed the company was billing for expensive pieces of DME while delivering substandard models, providing altered source documents to substantiate the cost of certain pieces of equipment, utilizing the state's lien process to further their enterprise and altering medical bills to test and deceive payment systems. As a result of the investigation, the insurer brought litigation through the California False Claims Act in late 2011, and the case was settled this year. Wendy Durzaff of the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office received the 2012 Public Service Award for efforts in prosecuting a large, sophisticated international insurance fraud criminal enterprise being run out of Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. The crime ring consisted of 11 primary suspects from around the globe who stole thousands of Americans' identities and used the stolen identities to submit fraudulent workers' compensation medical service bills to 70 different insurance companies. Through the scheme, this group illegally obtained millions of dollars in fraudulent insurance payments and then laundered the proceeds through wire transfers to Dubai, Armenia, or the Philippines. A total of 55 felony counts were filed against each of the 11 defendants, alleging insurance fraud, grand theft, identity theft, money laundering, and conspiracy. Desiref concluded the case with six of the defendants entering guilty pleas in court and international arrest warrants being issued for the other five defendants. The court also ordered $4.8 million in restitution. Mary Durden of GEICO was honored as Analyst of the Year for her work on a staged accident investigation in Georgia. She assisted the National Insurance Crime Bureau by providing information on an individual who used fictitious names to obtain insurance policies and make claims not only from her insurance company, but from multiple insurance carriers. Many of the claims involved the same vehicle with the same damages resulting in payments being made to the fictitious named individuals. Through Durden's analysis, more than 40 claims were identified and provided to the NICB along with the summary of the claim information, photographs, and estimates of the damage. As a result of Durden's efforts, the U.S. Secret Service investigated four possible federal mail fraud, wire fraud, or bank fraud violations. That investigation led the individual to confess to submitting fraudulent insurance claims. And finally, Walter Sweat of of Nationwide Insurance and the Georgia IASIU Chapter was honored for more than a decade of service to the national and local organizations. In addition to serving on the National Board of Directors, under his leadership, the Georgia Chapter grew its regular and associate membership numbers to a steady annual roster of around 100. Sweat also paved the way for educating local and state law enforcement agencies about all facets of insurance fraud, creating an entire training program for law enforcement agencies on various aspects of insurance fraud investigation and prosecution. Recently, he led the chapter's public anti-fraud education campaign, utilizing billboards throughout the state to urge the public to call the NICB's 1-800-TEL-NICB hotline to report insurance fraud. And in regulatory news, the last-minute politics played a big role in the passage of SB 863. A controversial workers' compensation overhaul bill was all but dead until Governor Jerry Brown stepped in. To rescue the massive package, he came up with a pot of extra money in less than 24 hours to help the most seriously injured workers. Last-minute negotiations created a special $120 million annual fund to provide extra benefits to people who have been catastrophically hurt and cannot return to their jobs. He personally met with recalcitrant straight senators in his office and in the suite of Senate leader Darrell Steinberg that morning. And to break the ice, he brought along Sutter, his brown and white Welsh Pembroke corgi. The face-to-face lobbying was intense. He reminded Democrats about the 170-page bill's benefits for injured workers, and Republicans were warned that without the bill, businesses faced up to 18% increases in workers' comp insurance. Brown got the votes he needed by the end of the night. He had racked up unusually large bipartisan majorities for the bill, SB 863, first in the State Assembly and finally in the Senate. Remarkably, the bill's entire legislative history amounted to three days of non-stop ups and downs. The bill was being pummeled by lobbyists for groups whose members earn their livelihoods from the medical legal bureaucracy that works with injured workers. They included lawyers, outpatient surgical centers, medical equipment manufacturers, chiropractors, and drug dispensers lobbying legislators in force. Following a Thursday evening caucus meeting, Steinberg told a top administrative official flat out that the proposal was in trouble. It wouldn't get out of the Senate, he said, because it didn't have enough votes from members of the Democratic majority. Brown's efforts were the key to moving the bill. And in medical news... The U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration is revoking the controlled substance licenses of two CVS Caremark Corporation drugstores in Florida as part of a government crackdown on potentially addictive painkillers, especially oxycodone. The DEA has alleged the two stores, about 30 miles south of Orlando, were inappropriately filling prescriptions for oxycodone and suspicious sales of other controlled substances. However, CVS contends the high volume of oxycodone and other prescription painkillers from the two stores arose because they were busy pharmacies, with one store operating 24 hours a day. The DEA has increased its focus on drug wholesalers and pharmacies as it tries to battle what the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention call a prescription drug abuse epidemic. Deaths from narcotic painkillers are now Now, top deaths from heroin and cocaine combined. The license revocations will take effect 30 days from the date of the order that is published in the Federal Register. CVS, which runs more than 7,300 U.S. stores and has a large pharmacy benefits management business, said it is reviewing the decision and evaluating its options. The company said it has responded to the DEA's concerns, including enhancing its policies and procedures for filling controlled substance prescriptions. The case is Holiday CVS LLC versus Just Department, Justice Department et al. in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit. The U.S. healthcare system squanders $750 billion a year. Roughly 30 cents of every medical dollar through unneeded care, Byzantine paperwork, fraud, and other waste. The Institute of Medicine report identified six major areas of waste unnecessary services, $210 billion annually, inefficient delivery of care, $130 billion, excess administrative costs, $190 billion, inflated prices, billion, prevention failures, $55 billion, and fraud, $75 billion. Adjusting for some overlap among the categories, the panel settled on a total combined estimate of $750 billion. The report was prepared by an 18-member panel of prominent experts, including doctors, business people, and public officials. The authors claim that the past 50 years have seen an explosion in biomedical knowledge, dramatic innovation in therapies and surgical procedures, and management of conditions that previously were fatal. Yet, the report concluded that American healthcare is falling short on basic dimensions of quality, outcomes, costs, and equity. The report explained that if banking worked like healthcare, ATM transactions would take days. If home building were like healthcare, care, carpenters, electricians, and plumbers would work from different blueprints and hardly talk to each other. If shopping were like healthcare, care, prices would not be posted and could vary widely within the same store depending upon who was paying. If airline travel were like healthcare, care, individual pilots would be free to design their own pre-flight safety checks or not perform one at all. How much is $750 billion? The one-year estimate of health care waste is equal to more than 10 years of Medicare cuts in Obama's health care law. It's more than the Pentagon budget. It's more than enough to care for the uninsured. But panel members urged a frank discussion with the public about the value Americans are getting for their for their health care dollars. As a model, they cited... Choosing Wisely, a campaign launched earlier this year by nine medical societies to challenge the widespread perception that more care is better. Examples of wasteful care include most repeated colonoscopies within 10 years (coughs) of a first such test, early imaging for most back pain, and brain scans for patients who fainted but did not have seizures. The report makes 10 recommendations, including payment reforms to reward quality results instead of reimbursing for each procedure, improving coordination among different kinds of service providers, leveraging technology to reinforce sound clinical decisions, and educating patients to become more savvy consumers. And in financial news... A BART director was stunned by the amount of open work comp claims pending against the organization. Nearly $9 million in operating funds was approved by BART to help deal with workers' compensation claims from 800 employees, a number that came as a surprise to several agency directors. Rising health care costs, an increase in surgical operations, and rapidly aging workforce are some of the reasons the transit Agency – has forced been forced to deal with $8.9 million in unexpected workers' comp costs. The funding allocation, which coincided with a separate $1 million investment for a new workers' comp risk management program, was authorized unanimously as part of a wrap-up to BART's operating budget for the fiscal year. Several directors on BART's board expressed incredulity that the agency was dealing with 800 open work comp claims. Director Joel Keller pointed out that the district only employs 3,000 people total. Director James Fang said he was absolutely stunned that so many of the agency's employees, past and present, were collecting work comp. A new GAO study says that disability and unemployment double-dipping has exploded. Roughly 117,000 Americans double-dipped by cashing unemployment and Social Security disability checks during the height of the jobs crisis. This cost taxpayers a combined $856 million in fiscal 2010. The additional strain on the system will make the SSDI Trust Fund insolvent in four short years. The data unearthed by the GAO shows that many Americans have simultaneously relied on disability and unemployment insurance and that overlapping payments are allowed under the program's different eligibility requirements. Disability insurance is intended for those whose medical conditions prevent them from working, while unemployment provides a cushion for job seekers who are laid off. Because the two programs are meant to address separate needs, lobbying groups for the disabled see no cause for a congressional crackdown. The Social Security Administration stressed a similar perspective in a 2010 memo to the administrative law judges who determine eligibility for disability benefits. It is SSA's position that individuals need not choose between applying for unemployment insurance and Social Security disability benefits because of the lengthy process in determining if Social Security will be awarded. Under the rules for disability, recipients must have a condition that prevents them from participating in substantial gainful activity or work that generated more than $12,000 of income in 2010. But some states allow workers with earnings below that level to qualify for unemployment benefits as well. No current federal law authorizes a reduction or elimination of benefits in the case of double dipping. And neither the Social Security Administration nor the Labor Department has a process to identify these overlapping benefit payments. The average double dipper collected $7,316 in fiscal 2010. About 1500 reaped more than $40,000 a year. One individual highlighted in the report got $62,000 during that period. And in other news, a new California Workers' Compensation Institute injury scorecard offers detailed data on work injury claims involving shoulder, arm, knee, and lower leg sprains. The Institute compiled data For the scorecard, from 236,567 open and closed California workers' compensation claims from accident years 2001 through 2011. As of January 2012, aggregate medical and indemnity benefit payments on those claims totaled nearly $2.4 billion. The scorecard notes, during the 11-year study period, workers with these types of sprains accounted for 10.6% of California's job injury claims. But only one in seven of these injuries involved a permanent disability payment, and they had a relatively low attorney involvement rate. And those that resulted in lost time closed more quickly than other types of claims. On the other hand, the scorecard reveals that while average paid losses on shoulder, arm, knee, and lower leg claims were consistently below the average for all claims, in recent years, the loss payments on these claims have moved up from their post-reform lows. The next scorecard in the series will focus on claims involving degenerative, infective, and metabolic joint disorders. And with that, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and for much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or iPod by searching for the WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.